Hello everyone and welcome back to Inside Art Scroll, where the books you read and the people who write them come to life. We are joined today by Rabbi Daniel Gladstein, author of The Mystery and the Majesty. Thank you Rabbi Gladstein for coming out and joining us. Shalom Aleichem Rabbi Yitzchak, how are you? Thank you, I know you have a busy sheer schedule and I know that it took a little adjusting to make it here, Thank but you. it's an honor to have you and it's a pleasure to speak to you, we have a lot to get to. So. Baruch Hashem, you're a successful Rav for many years. You've written Svarim first in Lashon Kaidish, and now in English, and we'll get to that as well. Provide us with some background. Rabbi Daniel Gladstein, where did you get your start? Well, uh, beginning in my career of, we call it Harbatzas Torah, I learned in Yeshiva Chafetz Chaim. Maybe we'll speak about that more. And coming out of Koilel, I was davening in a shul in Kugarn Hills. And the shul at the time did not have a rav. And I noticed after the davening was a bit quick, and after the davening, uh, people would go out and run off to work. And I remember I suggested perhaps after the davening there should be a dvar halacha or a small shir, something maybe while people are taking off the towels and tefillin. So they said they're going to think about it. And they thought about it, and they came back to me, they said, okay, great idea. And I had in mind maybe it will be like a round robin or other people... They said, you'll do it, you'll, you do it. So I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. And I remember I prepared the entire morning Seder. I prepared three hours to give a two-minute daily Dvar Halacha. Wow. But I packed it in, I made it interesting. And I remember you know, people who would be wrapping their tefillin, all of a sudden their, their heads picked up and, and they, were, they were gripped, they were grabbed by it. And through that, I remember I was recommended to give shiurim in the youngest row of Kugarn Hills, wow. to give shiurim in Great Neck. And then ultimately, I was recommended for my first stellar uh, as a rub in Kugarn Hills. And uh, that's really the starting point. That's so. amazing. So that all started from your initiative yeah. that you felt that people were running out of shul. Yeah, yeah. And I, I look back at that and I say, I didn't get anything out of that. It wasn't monetized. Right. It was. It was, I guess, for a noble intention. It was L'shem Shemayim. And, uh, sometimes when you do a small thing, L'shem Shemayim, the Rebbe Shem chooses that to be the springboard. You know? Did you see yourself as someone who was a Magachir at that point? You were a younger man learning in... a younger man learning in... Uh, in the Yeshiva Chavitaim Kailol. Yeah. And I imagine you were learning B'iyun in the morning. Learning B'iyun in the morning. I was learning B'kis in the afternoon. I was right. learning Shulchan Arch in the afternoon. When I got married... My wife said, you know, what are you going to do? Right. I thought I was going to be a high school rabbi. Uh-huh. I thought I was going to go into Chanach. Did I see myself in Rabbanos in this capacity? Um, one of my first uh, stints in giving shiurim uh, was Shavuos night in our show in the Aguda of Avenue L. And I remember so you, you grew up in Flatbush? I grew up in Flatbush, yeah. And you were davening in Aguda of Avenue L. The rabbi at the time was... So I grew up, uh, Rabbi Yitzchak Izbi was, was the rabbi. Right. And, you know, he, his, he had a big hashba on me. Oh. And then later on, Rabbi Pinchas Breuer. Right. And I think it was during Rabbi Breuer's tenure. Now, of course, uh, Rabbi Moshe Tavialif, who's close to our family. And uh, my father encouraged me, give a shir Shavuos night. They're looking for someone to fill up a slot. I remember how nervous I was. <laughs> I literally prepared from Pesach until Shavuos, like a seder and a half a day. I remember t- the amount of preparation that went into my first year. Oh. And then over the years, I got the hang of it. <laughs> and that was as a bacher you gave that year? That was, I was already married. You were married, okay. Yeah. Do you remember the topic? Yes. <laughs> the subject was 
the mysterious ancestry of David HaMelech, which till today is many people's favorite shiurim on, online. And, uh, right. <laughs> yeah. and that, was, that was your first shiur? That was my first shiur I gave. And, uh, and then a short while later you started giving these morning Yeah, a few years later. I, I, this became like an annual uh, shteller, the Shavuos night. Uh, You'd go to your parents for Yom Tif. Go to parents for Yom Tif and give that shiur. And uh, slowly started branching off and... Uh, uh, the rest is history. <laughs> right. Now, learning in Yeshiva Chavetz Chaim, did you have a kesher to anyone in particular there? Yeah, so it's interesting. This past Shabbos, I spoke for the Syrian community in Brooklyn. And I spoke at the shul of Reb Dovi Ben Shushan. And I'm friendly with Reb Dovi. Reb Dovi said, Rabbi Gladstein, you know who we think did the biggest service for you? I said, no, tell me. <laughs> he said, Yeshiva Chavetz Chaim. I said, Rabbi, how do you know about Chavetz Chaim? He says, what I know is that in some yeshivas, at a young age, they get caught up. They're learning Rabbi Chaim, and they're learning Rabbi Baruch Ber, and learning Rabbi Shimon Shkop. But to read a Gemara, to read a Rashi, to read a Toysvis, that's not always the strong point. And Chavetz Chaim gave you such strong skills in reading and being able to deliver information in a, in a crystal clear way that, you know, don't take that for granted. So that's what... Uh, Rav Dovi had to say. But of course, they have uh, many influences. Um, once you speak about yeshiva, so I went to Chavetz Chaim in ninth grade. My ninth grade Rebbe was Rav David Harris, who was uh, now the Rosh Shiva of the yeshiva together with Rav Grumblat. Right. And I had an all-star lineup in the yeshiva. Rabbi Jacobson, Rabbi Turk were the Rosh Yeshiva in Tfaris Yisrael. So that was before they opened up the elementary school? Uh, so the elementary school and the high school, uh, elementary school actually um, was open first. I was yeah. in Tartamima for elementary school. And, um, but my high school uh, lineup of Rabbeim was really all-star. And I want to mention I also had a, a Rebbe, a very special Rebbe to me, Rebbe Leo Meza, who um, used to learn with us the Svarim of Ravitzla Peterberg. And I learned these farm in 10th grade and 11th grade, 15, 16 years old. And Rabbi Itzula's writings as a, as a Bachar, a young Bachar, made a very big Rosh uh, especially his pieces about the Yom Naram. And I'm proud that, you know, 20 years later, 25 years later, two particular pieces from Rabbi Itzula Petterberg um, are featured prominently in, well, in the uh, Mystery and the Majesty. So sometimes things you learn as... Uh, it's the Girsa de Yankusa. Girsa de Yankusa, yeah. Wow. So you were in Chavetz Chaim through the system, we would say, through, through Beis Madrash. Yes. Did you, did you go at all to learn in Eretz Yisrael? No. You did interesting. not. Interesting. With, with, <laughs> I have many interests, and uh, my Svarim interests are very varied very, and varied. very wide. But in Yeshiva, I was in the Chavetz Chaim system throughout. Tfaris Yisrael, uh, Eretz Yisrael, and then uh, the Rabbinical Seminary of America, they call it, you know, Chavetz Chaim in Queens, for, right. for many, many years. And I continued learning there until uh, two star a day, until pretty recently. That's, that's really incredible, because you don't see that nowadays, especially where people seem to be bouncing around elementary school, and then for Masifta, and then for Beis Medrash, maybe two different yeshivas, and then right. back to Eretz Yisrael, and then back to America. So to have some kind of continuity, and really, you, you could tell me if it's correct, but imbibing the values, ideals, and flavor of a certain mahalach definitely has some tremendous value. Tremendous. I feel I got really a, a very solid foundation in learning, in Ion, in Musr, and Hashkafa Satar from right. Chavetz Chaim. And of course, uh, from there, 
many other influences also helped me uh, develop as well. Now the Roshiva was Reb Henoch Libowitz. Did yeah. you have a kasher at all with Reb Henoch? So when I got to Yeshiva uh, Chavetz Chaim in Queens, it was Reb Henoch's last year giving shir. Oh. And Baruch Shem, I was zoicha to be in his shir the last year he gave shir. Wow. So Baruch Hashem Yeah, Reb Henoch was special, right. Yeah, right. He, he, he was a prince in uh, Torah and uh, one of the most important limudim he brought to the yeshiva is the the honor, the privilege of being a marvitz Torah. That sometimes people uh, look down, they go, what do you do for a living? Are you a Rebbe, you're a Rav? Oh, okay, so you didn't make it. But the yeshiva gave the Talmidim a real pride to feel that you have the privilege to be in the best, best job in the universe. What, what better endeavor could you be involved in than emulating HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Yisrael? It is indeed a great schos, and you have a particular schos that besides her being a Rav and a Marbetz Taira in person, you have an incredible influence online. Uh, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the wonderful people at Torah Anytime who have given people a platform, people such as yourselves who have so much to give, so much to offer in terms of Taira, the opportunity to do so to people all over the globe. If you could comment on that for a moment. Um, the privilege that I have to be affiliated with Torah anytime, it's very hard to put into words. Just to give you a little bit of an illustration, illustration of the reach that a speaker has through Torah anytime. So even the, the way that um, developed, I was a young rabbi at the time in a shul in Queens, Kahal Taras MS. And it was what we call an old pul pulpit synagogue. It was like a starter, startup job. And the, the membership was dwindling. It was an older membership. And I started building up the shul through shiurim mostly. And I remember the first weekly shir was a Wednesday night. We had like five, six people at the shir. We were sitting around the table eating ragalach, potato chips. And maybe the next week we had eight, nine people, 10 people, and that's where it capped out. I remember I, I bumped into a friend. I remember Michael Levy, a friend of mine, who, a student of mine from Great Neck. He says, Rabbi, you need to put your shurim on Torah anytime. I says, what's Torah anytime? You get your shurim online. Now, to me, online, the only thing I know about online is you're not allowed to be on it, you know? <laughs> I'll tell you the truth, I did not own a computer at the time. Wow. Moreover, I had never used a computer in my life. How many years ago are we talking? We're talking 11 years ago. Well, I had never used a computer. Even in high school, we took computers in class and somehow I just took the tests, but I had not used a computer. And I said, Michael, what's Torah anytime going to do for What's online? You don't understand. More people are going to listen to your shiurim. I said, Michael, I get 11 people at the shir. You know, I can't get the people to come. Who else is going to listen to this year? Trust me, you got to get. So Tarani Time started on uh, Main Street in Kigarn Hills. And I met them. And they gave me a camera to, to record one of my shiurim. And I got into the swing of it. And I remember one week going into the office, uh, Ruven Kalyakov says, Rabbi Gladstein, do you know how many people watched your shir this week? I said, how many? He said, 700 people. What? 700 people watched my shir? It would take me you know, something like uh, two years to get that number of people composite in the shul. To, right. And now, 10 years later, 700 
if I wake up in the morning and from 12 a.m., seven, that was a bad night. Wow. So, you know, the, the reach of Torah anytime is lo uman ki super. The numbers, the far-reaching effect of Torah anytime. I got a message driving here from Rakem. Who's Rakem? Rakem is a, is a Yid who lives in northeast India. He's from the Bnei Menashe. And this is an amazing story. I, uh, we started corresponding with each other. And asked different Shilas. And I said, Rakim, did you get the mystery and the majesty? He says, Rabbi, how am I going to get it? I said, uh, I don't know, Amazon? <laughs> he said, Amazon doesn't come to northeast India. Maybe Alababi or something like that. And they don't carry the mystery and the majesty. I said, Rakim, I'm going to get you the mystery and the majesty. So I remember going to the post office. I remember filling out paperwork, like documentation, like I was, uh, I don't know what. And every month I would say, Rakim, did you get the mystery in the majesty? And it was Tishrei, he didn't get it, Cheshvan, Kislev, Teves. He got the mystery in the majesty in time for Chodesh um, Nisan. Wow. That's how long it this, took. It took, you know. I said, Rakim, get me a picture. I want you to get me a picture of you holding the mystery in the majesty. And I have a picture. It's like, uh, you know, very dear very to me. Very precious. <laughs> But that's definitely a demonstration of how far, far, just who you're reaching. Now, he's an Orthodox Jew. Is so, he, you know, or? the Bnei Menashe is a very Bnei interesting Bnei. discussion uh-huh. uh, that maybe we'll, we'll uh, get to sometime. But Abez Hashem, he's going to be making Aliyah um, wow. after Sukkot. And I hope to meet him soon. But that's just an well, illustration just of, of the, how far. Here, that's an illustration of the composite effect of Torah Anytime and Art Scroll. So right. here you have these two great revolutions of Torah dissemination and coming together, you know, sending an art scroll to a student who, who listens to Shema online, that's really... That's, uh, that's very special. And, and we know that, I mean, uh, those of us like uh, myself who have benefited from your shiurim online know that you give a, a, an unreal number of shiurim on quite a wide gamut of topics. So I have to just ask you, when do you prepare? Because on a daily basis, I mean, you could tell us how many shirim you're giving, and just the time that it takes to prepare. I know you said that you spent from Pesach to Shavuos to prepare your first year. I imagine you've cut down the preparation time right, since then. Right, right, So how do you do that? Baruch <laughs> Do you have a Seder Hayoim to do that? That was really the real question. So you mentioned the wide uh, variety of subjects. So I might segue into, um, you may wonder, here I learned in Yeshiva Chafetz Chaim, which is a Slabotko-style yeshiva, and yet many of the subjects are very wide-ranging, very right. varied, be it uh, Sefer Tarmadavara, be it subjects on the parsha, the Yom Toivim, all kinds of svarim. So I think I would be remiss if I didn't tell you some of my personal background. So sure. Just to get a picture of maybe the different ingredients involved in uh, my upbringing. So to get, to get a feel for the, the varied areas of Torah that I have, have a very deep interest in. For sure. Um, I have to start with uh, my grandfather. You should live and be well. Harav Mordechai Leib Gladstein. Hashem Yishmerei V'chayeh L'Oyrech Yom Mishanim. He's really a miracle of Hashgacha. You know, K'nai Nahara. He's Lamala Mimei Ashana. He came over to this country in 1951, but he is a survivor of all 
all the death camps, labor camps. He was born in Lipna, and we're talking before 1917. And he was a ben by Ram Nachem Zemba. He's somebody who learned with Ram Nachem Zemba daily. You know, somebody who would tell us, grandchildren, what, what did Rav Nachem Zemba look like? Right. What did the bookcase behind him, what was it full of? All of his kisveyad on the Rambam, on the Yushalmi, on Kala What was Rav Nachem Zemba's personality like? So I'm growing up hearing about Rav Nachem Zemba. Maizeda was a, had smicha before the war from Rav Shlomo David Kahana. So he knew the Gerarebas from before the war. So you're hearing about Gedoylem, not from last generation, not from two generations ago, from, I don't know, three, four generations ago. So, and these become household names. This, this becomes, this is in your milk. This is what you're growing up with. This is Loye Umaki Supar. My grandfather did not really remember his father. He was a Yasaim. His father was Nifter in 1917 from the Spanish flu. He grew up by his grandfather. His grandfather in the 1860s, okay, so I'm looking at my Zayda, he saw his Zayda, who's a Rav in the 1860s, that's 160 years ago. Unbelievable. In the city of Lynchitz. The city of Lynchitz is where the Kliakar was. Who was in Lynchitz in the 1860s? Rev. Meir Leibish Ben Yechiel Michal, the Malbum. The Malbum was chased out of his city, Erev Shabbos. Malbum was a Rav, but we know the reform persecuted him. He was chased out of his city, Erev Shabbos. He comes to Lynchitz, and he sits in a shul in Lynchitz and writes the Malbum. My, my grandfather's grandfather was the Rav of the city where the Malbum wrote the Malbum. He was Yedid Nefesh of the Malbum. So my grandfather grows up. He doesn't have a father. He has a grandfather, and he has the Malbum. The Malbum was his, his you know, patriarch. I don't think an hour of my grandfather's life went by without him mentioning the Malbum. Oh. In fact, his own initials are uh, Zikni Moiri, Mard Chaleb Ben Yosef Menachem, Malbum. Malbum. So I'm growing up, I'm not hearing stories about something somebody read about the Malbum. He, knew, he saw his Zayda, who's friends with the Malbum. My grandfather's Malbums are from Europe. They're marked up like with notes and footnotes and chidushim. It's remarkable. Now, uh, after the war, uh, my grandfather, and his survival of the war was, was also nothing short of miraculous. If I could share... Yeah, by all means. You know, stories I've said over, but uh, maybe somebody will see this. You know. He was headed to the crematoria with his brother, Hinach. He was together with his brother all the years, and... His brother says, uh, Martha, you know, my throat is so parched from, from the fires. I need a drink. I, I'm, we're going to die before we get there. And my grandfather said, no, if we take a drink now, it's going to delay our death. So they're headed into the crematoria. And with one foot in, the Nazi grabbed both of them by their chuk, by their hair, pulled them out and said, uh, you know, you could work. Get out. So... They were already, you know... On the brink of on death. On the brink of death. And stories like that happened a number of times. One year, I remember in the Agudah, Agudah Surah Beis Binyamin, it was Lel Pesach, and my grandfather sees a, an old man walking to him. And who is this man? Rav Meir Lachman, Zechorin Levracha. And he, they were together in Auschwitz. 
And this Mayor Lachman turns to me, he says, you know, you're Zayda, he knows how to daven. He said, Shkoyach, he knows how to daven. You know, like, he doesn't, uh, every moment of his life was, was learning Mishnayis, learning Gemara. To my grandfather, in his 90s, he said, the, the hardest part about turning 90 years old is that the Rashi Oisiyos get a little smaller. Mm. So I, of course he knows how to daven. He said, no, you don't know what I mean when I say he knows how to daven. I saw him in the labor camps. I saw him in the death camps. He would be saying to Hillem, the Nazi would come, club him over the head, he would fall unconscious for 24 hours, and he would wake up, and he would continue where he left off. It's interesting, there's a book uh, written by George Topaz, Zechariah uh, Lebracha, I, I believe he was Nifta recently, yeah. who records he was on the cattle car with my grandfather. And he says, on the cattle car, Everyone gave up hope. They couldn't breathe. People had to uh, perform bodily functions. It was only a matter of time before they all um, passed on. And my grandfather called out, Yidin, we have to say Vidoy, we have to say Shema Yisrael in our last moments. And he writes, George Topaz writes, Rabbi Gladstein somehow survived the war. So the Americans bombed the railroad tracks, and the American army, led by General Henning Linden um, liberated my grandfather, and the American general came to my grandfather. He gave him his pistol, and he said, Rabbi, take revenge against the enemy. And my grandfather says, revenge? It's been five years since I had access to the Talmud, to Masechta Baba Basra. Now I can be reunited with Baba Basra. That is my freedom. I leave revenge to the Rebbe Shalom. So here you have a survivor. He knows English. He knows Polish. He's the perfect liaison between the American army and the survivors. So my grandfather became uh, the chief, the head of the religious department of the Joint Distribution Committee. They gave him a jeep. They gave him an army uniform. And in that capacity, he was able to ship from America or other countries Tashmishe Mitzvah for the survivors, Talesim, Tfilin. He built mikvois in every DP camp. He built Talmud Torahs in every DP camp. He felt at that time he was imbued with a ruach memala to resurrect the Sheir Sapleta. When Eisenhower came to visit the DP camps, he was Eisenhower's translator to the Kloisenberg Rebbe. Wow. So then, in his most important uh, job, which uh, he personally felt that he, that he was a shlucha drachmana. You have thousands of survivors. They're stuck in Europe. They want to rebuild their lives. They want to come to America. They want to go to Canada. They want to go to Eretz Yisrael. How are they going to do that? So my grandfather would send messages to America, to Israel. These are the names of the survivors who are alive. Are you related to them? Could you sponsor them? And he dedicated years, you know, until 1951. Uh, to help the survivors rebuild their life, to either go to America, to go to Eretz Yisrael, and he would not leave until every survivor who wanted to rebuild their life was, was able to. Now, during this course of time, my grandfather met uh, my grandmother. My grandmother is the daughter of the Rav of Sachachev, the Sachachev Rav, the last Rav of the city of Sachachev, Rabbi Huda Leib Volman, Hashem Yom Damai, who the Aguda, offered Rav Volman, they said, you're a young Rav, you have a promising career, we're going to carve out a position for you, you're going to be the chief rabbi of the United States of America. 
Never had a position before like that. Wow. And he could have saved his life. He said, no, I'm a roya to my kahila. And he stayed with the Jews of Sakhachev. And uh, he was killed in the Warsaw Ghetto. Wow. He died in the Warsaw Ghetto in Typhus. So that's your grandfather's father-in-law? My grandfather's father-in-law, yeah. So I'm hearing these names. Wow. Now my, my grandfather's, uh, my great-grandfather, the Sakhachev Arav, learned in Yeshiva Chachmel Liblin. Who is his chavrusa? A big mekulo. First of all, he was chavrusas with the Mayanish Shel Torah, Alexander oh. Zusha Friedman. And he was chavrusas with Reb um, Yitzchak HaKoyhein Huberman, the Tzaddik of Ranana. Now, why do I mention that? The Tzaddik of Ranana. Who ever heard of the Tzaddik of Ranana? But I feel a great privilege that in a, an English art scroll book, I was able to bring the name, the Tzaddik of Ranana, to a, great audit, to a wider audience. The Tzadik Ronana Nebuch was the only survivor of his uh, family. He's a Sachachavar. He's the only survivor of his family. And he, come, he came to the city of Ranana, I think it's near Bnei Brak, and he was an Oniv Evion. He couldn't even afford paper. He used to write letters to my grandfather. Um, he would correspond with my grandfather because my grandfather was the son in law of his former Chavrusa. And he, couldn't, he, he would write the letter on the envelope because he couldn't afford paper. Oh. And he wrote a sefer on Chumash called Ben La Ashri Bracha Meshulashas. He didn't have children, and he writes in the opening page that anyone who learns his sefer, he will be mispalo for them in the Oilam HaEmes, that they should have Bracha V'Hatzlacha. Oh. So one of the pieces here, I bring a, From his a teaching of, of the Ben La Ashri Bracha Meshulashas. The, the importance of preparing for the Yom Naram well before Elul. The earlier start you get, he dashes the pasuk, Lashichnai Sidrashu Uvasa Shama, Lashichnai Sidrashu, don't wait for Elul, Lashichnai, the neighbor of Elul, the Shachin of Elul, Sidrashu, seek out the Riban Shalom, and then Uvasa Shama. Hmm. So I put in a footnote that the Ben Ashri says anybody who learns his Sefer, he'll be Melitz for them. Wow. So I remember Rabbi Zlatowitz called me up. People are very interested. Who's this right. Ben Ashri? Are there some How do you other, get the copy? Yeah, could we get the copy? Should we make an English version of it? You know, so I was so gratified. Here you have a sefer that's basically who knows about the Ben Ashri, and now oh. it became a recognized name. And that's a huge schuss for you to be able to be the conduit to do that. Yeah. But that's an amazing history. And uh, would you say that this, uh, these are re uh, accounts that you've heard from your grandfather himself? Sure. Yeah. You know, I grew up hearing these stories. Oh. I grew up hearing about... Uh, the Rav of Lynchitz, who knew the Malbum. My grandfather's other grandfather is uh, Rav Pesach Moshe Goldman, who is a Talmud of the Kotzkar Rebbe. He was a Talmud of Rabbi Yeshua Lamikutna. Rabbi Yeshua Lamikutna also stop uh, an average yeshiva guy. Do you know, do you ever hear of the Yeshua Ismalkai? I don't know. You know, it's not such a common name. Right. But he was instrumental in publishing the Yeshua Ismalkai. So Bezus Hashem, there's another book coming out with Hashem's help on uh, Hanukkah and Tubishvat. So there's a piece, you know, the revelation of Rabbi Shul Mikutna. So it's very gratifying for me to bring the names of these gedolim to, to the greater public. Now, in general, youngsters don't have such an appreciation for history, and it's only later on in life, sometimes when it's too late, that they finally say, you know, wow, this is fascinating. I have to tap into it. At what age did you get that appreciation that you have a grandfather who's a fount, a literal fount of history and information and hashkafa and values and memories and, I mean, just a treasure trove? Yeah. 
Um, was it when you were very young or did it just... Did you know, did maybe it take... it's something they have a natural inclination to appreciate. Okay. I, I, it's, it's very meaningful to me to understand where did I come from. Right. And um, I also want to m mention the influence of my parents. Obviously, you have to start with your mother. You know, Ani Avdecha, Ben Amasecha. And obviously everything my mother put into me and she's taught me discipline. She taught me focus and the love that she instilled in me, you know, uh, stays with me at Hayoim and, uh, and Vaitar. And uh, talk about the influence of my other grandparents also. Um, my Mrs. Uh, Stanley Hirschfang, Shimon Hirschfang. Also, it's, it's interesting, you know, I've been a rub in a shul for more than 10 years. And I see one of the challenges of shul life, especially in a young generation, is the decorum. Interesting. Um, my grandmother's father, Shlomo Zalman Glick, he came over from Poland for the war. He wasn't a rabbi. He wasn't a rav. It was at a time where Haskalah was making very big inroads in mm -hmm. uh, many families. Chafetz Chaim said, "Ein bayis asher ein shames." And he came over to America, and on the boat, you know, people said, what do you have in that bag? He would say, tefillin. He said, tefillin, we don't, that's not, we don't do that in America. You know, people would throw the tefillin over, overboard. They said, you know, uh, what do you plan on doing about Shabbos? You plan on keeping Shabbos? In America, we don't. And he was moister nefesh for Shabbos. Every single week, uh, he basically lost his job. The boss said, come in tomorrow or don't come in Monday and he would get fired week after week after week Whoa. until he proved himself such a successful worker that uh, he was able to maintain a job. He invented uh, a number of different patents in the garment industry. But he comes to Flatbush in the early days of Flatbush. He's, you know, looking around at the shuls. You know, he, he was basically self-taught. He opens up the Shulchan Aruch, and uh, Shulchan Aruch says, talking by davening, uh, we know what the Shulchan Aruch says. And we know what the Shulchan Aruch recommends, that how it's treated. And basically, he started a revolution uh, in the early days of Flavin, David Shul. And a lot of the awareness about Kavarat Tefillah came from my great-grandfather. Wow. So really, you know, from both sides, I grew up hearing about early G'daylim, great, great people. People were Moser Nefesh for Torah, for Am Yisrael. And... Try to take that with me a little bit. And, uh, you know, when Rav Meir Shapiro became the Rav of Lublin, so he said as follows, he said, Lublin is a great city. This is the city of the Marshal. And really, you cannot stand in the place of great people. Rav Meir Shapiro says there's another way to read it. You can't be oimed. You can't be stationary. If you come from great people, then you have to stand on their shoulders and take it a little bit further. So I view it, I already come uh, with giants and try to at least maintain a little bit of what they brought to the forefront. But you asked me, at what point in time was I interested in, in the family history? Right. So this is also a very important influence in my life. Uh, my father is Olga Zunzain. My father is an attorney. But... During the weekends, he was an international lecturer. He lectured for uh, Ishatara, the Discovery Program. 
And this is when I'm 9 years old, 10 years old, 11 years old, 12 years old. And I used to go with my father on Sundays, on Shabbosim, all over the country, college campuses. And there would be 400 people, 500 people. And he would give these presentations that were fire and brimstone, that were so powerful about Torah and Hashemayim, about the eternity of the Jewish people, about Hashkacha Pratis. And he would always speak about my grandparents mm. and their miraculous salvation from the Holocaust and how the Jewish people have a mission in this world and a purpose in this world and to bring the light of Torah to all of Klal Yisrael. And you would see people who don't know Shema Yisrael. I don't know even if they knew that there's one Reban Shalom. And you would see them literally change in one hour. Oh. You would see, it was like Naimed Har Sinai. And a lot of the impact came from the stories about my grandparents. So this is, you know, family tradition. And this had a very big impact on me as well. The, that a Yid, doesn't matter what their affiliation is, it doesn't matter Ashkenazi, Sephardi, it doesn't matter their level of knowledge. When they're exposed to authentic Torah, the Jewish heart melts. That's what they're seeking, that's what they want. So... That was a very big influence on me as well. Now, your father's a successful attorney, and some might think naturally that his son should have become a successful attorney. So what, what does your father think today that Baruch Hashem, his son, is a successful Rav? And, uh, you know, what, what, what was the mindset then when you, I guess, reached the crossroads in life, whether to go to law school, was that ever something that you considered? <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot here. No. When I was in yeshiva, Baruch Hashem, I was, a, I was a very good bachar. I was very immersed in my learning. Nafshi chashkai batayra, and my parents appreciated that. And uh, look, my grandfather is a rav. Now, rabbonus is not for the faint heart, it's not for everybody. Right. But, you know, my father in his capacity was Marvitz Taira on a, a grand scale. So uh, I'm following in the footsteps of my parents, grandparents uh, as well. So as a busy magachir, as someone who's engaged in Rabbonus, I imagine there's no question that this takes a toll somewhat on the home front. How do you balance that? Uh, I don't balance it. My wife balances everything. To her credit, really, uh, Baruch Hashem, a lot of the success is... All of the success is only because of her. She takes all the responsibility of the house. And people always ask, you're giving this year at this time? You're traveling here? What does your wife say? What does your wife I'm always at? Your wife lets? And the answer is yes. She is, uh, my, gives me the absolute full support for every project. There's nothing that... She'll never say, well, you already do so much, so why don't you just... No. Everything is with uh, her blessing and full support, so Hashem should bench her <laughs> to have nachas from the mishpacha, from all of us, and uh, it's really all to her credit. When you entered the Rabbonus 15-some-odd years ago, were you nervous? I mean, the, let's say the first Yom Nairam, Rosh oh, right. Kippur, you're leading the Kihila. It's, it's, it's a different experience. Yeah, so... At first, I was so stage shy. Oh. Every drush I gave, 
I would rehearse the, I would rehearse, I don't know, a half a dozen times. And uh, it's funny, I remember the first drusher, so I called my father and I said, you know, Daddy, here, you want to hear my first drusha? So of course I start with a joke. Now I have to tell you, so I don't know if I'm allowed to do this, but uh, <laughs> the Rav Huberman, the Tzadik Ranana, he has an unbelievable vart. You know, the Gemara in Shabbos, Laman Aleph, says Rabba would always start off with Mosa So he says, but leka midi delay ramizi by raisa. Everything has to be alluded to the Torah. We're in the Torah, there are remez. You have to start off with a joke. He says, he says, v'haya, ein v'haya, elalashin simcha, ekev. You have to be misameach, ekev, koidem esek batayra. Then, elav tishmoan, then you'll understand the very difficult dine mamnas. Anyway. So I told him, you know, before the drasha, I have a, I have a humorous account. So he heard the joke, he heard the drasha. I'm a serious guy, you know. My father says, Donnie, stick to the Divrei Torah. <laughs> <laughs> Leave out the humor. No, I, like, I use that a lot, you know. <laughs> but Baruch Hashem, uh, over the years, it became uh, more natural. And, uh, you know. It's interesting, we talk about the Svarim. So... We were discussing, you know, what is the advantage of having a sefer? Rav Chaim Falaji, and I want to tell you something about my interest in the svarim of the Svardic giants. In a way, it almost baffled me for a couple years. Gladstein, what do you have with anybody who listens to my shurma? Sure. I'm quoting the Chida. Sure. I'm quoting Rav Chaim Falaji. I'm quoting Maran Ovadia. And also, the Beneshchai. And the reason I mentioned Beneshchai, today is the yard side of the Beneshchai. And to the Beneshchai, the most important avoida in his whole gamut of Harbatsas Torah was Ksiv Asvarim and Hatfas Asvarim. Mm. In fact, Rabbi Yaakov Hillel has a, an amazing biography of the Beneshchai with incredible pictures. I highly recommend it. Mm. Um, where he has two rare letters that were found in uh, archives in, uh, in Paris. Uh, the Beneshchai was supported by his brothers. They, they had a business in India. And the business went sour. Actually, there's a whole account. His brothers were imprisoned in India. And the Beneshchai did not have a source of income. And Beneshchai writes that to him, worse than the fact that he can't put food on the table is he can't publish his farm. And another account, Beneshchai says, that he writes to a very wealthy woman he says, it is so painful to me that I can't publish my svarim, and I, don't, I, I have a Sefer Torah in my possession. This Sefer Torah is from the 16th century. It is so thin that the cloth is like Kaklipas Hashom, like the, the breath of, of, of a... Kaklipas Habatzel, like the thickness of an onion. onion. And you, you can't take it out to read, but having, having it in your house is a bracha. You could carry it on, on Simchas Torah. This is my prized possession. I'm going to send it to Rothschild. And I, I humbly request that you intercede on my behalf, that he pay me handsomely for the Sefer Torah, so that I could publish my Svarim. This is my prized possession, but more important than the Sefer Torah is publishing my Svarim. And he says, I, you can't get benefit from a Sefer Torah. I will not take a penny from my Svarim. I will distribute all the proceeds to Aniyim, but just so I should be able to publish my Svarim. So Reb Chaim Talaji, says that what is more important, publishing a sefer or giving shiur and barabim? And he says publishing a sefer is more important. Why? 
Because you give a shear, it's only to the people listening to the shear. It's only to the people in your shul. But when you publish the sefer, it's the people, the whole community. It could be, it could be spread to the whole world. So I was thinking about that because in today's times, is that really still the case? You know, you could give a shear. I think they invented something called a video camera, <laughs> and there's uh, something called a computer and online, and it could also be spread to the whole world, and it could also be for posterity. So I remember two years ago, I went into Reb Chaim Knievsky. I'm not a big Reb Chaim story, that's not my specialty, I'm not a storyteller. But I'll tell you, I asked Reb Chaim, what is more valuable, writing a sefer or, public, uh, or um, giving shir- shiram? And Reb Chaim thought, not long, but he thought. And Reb Chaim said, Hainuhach, it's the same thing. Tarbasas Torah. Tarbasas Torah. So it's interesting, Reb Moshe writes in the Diverse Moshe on Baba Kama. He says that, it's a Gemara in Erevin on Nun Gimel. The Gemara says, the Bnei Yehuda, the Galia Masechta, and the Skyim Bnei Yehuda, they were Megala, their teaching, and therefore their learning stayed with them. So says Reb Moshe, that's why I'm writing this Sefer Debrois Moshe. Even though I spread Torah through my Shirim Barabim, but if you could spread Torah to one more person and you don't, then you're not being Megalia Masechta. That's not being Megalia Masechta. So, yes, I'm giving Shir, but maybe one person will read my Sefer, and I have a Chiv to do that, Rabbi Moshe says. So, you know, there's Svarim um, in English, and there's Svarim in Lashon Kaidash, so maybe one, somebody will read one. Somebody will read another. I was going to say, that's a very apropos word of chizuk here in the land of Art Scroll, where all the efforts are all about reaching out to that one person. I was just looking through a list of people who receive our new Shabbos newsletter that we're putting out, and I see people in Gibraltar and in Taiwan and your fellow out there in the West Indies or wherever it is. <laughs> it's, it's really an unbelievable thing. Now, your sefer was originally written as Magad Harakiyah in Lashon Kaidish. And that was on the topic of also Yamim Taizim? So no, actually, I'm trying to vary the subjects. Okay. So in Lashna Kodesh, there's Purim, okay. and Chodesh uh, Nisan and the Haggadah. And so far in English, there's Yom Naram, Elul, Sukkot, uh, Rosh Hashanah. So it's not a direct translation. No, on the sure, contrary, it's, it's, it's new material. Yeah. Have you found, uh, tell me about the experience of writing in Lashon Kodesh as opposed to writing in English, where it's very different in English. You have to explain certain terms. Mm-hmm. And this book, I must say, is beautiful in that it's Shavu L'Chol Nefesh. It's understandable by much. all men, women, even children of a certain age could read it and understand the messages because it's written so clearly. Thank you. And this particular volume, which is El Yom Nerom and Sukkis, is a great preparation for these Yomim Taivim. And, you. Uh, you know, going through the book, uh, well, before we get to the content of, of, of this particular Sefer, I should call it, I was asking you about the difference between writing in Lashon Kaddish and English. Okay, so nowadays to write any Sefer, there is a team who is working with you to assist in the uh, writing. So in the Hebrew Sefer, I have a good chaver, Rabbi Aaron Jacobi, who works very diligently on the manuscript. Obviously, it goes through many rounds of editing. Um, but in, in the Hebrew Sefer, it's a different format than in the English. It's, and the Hebrew Sefer is based on the following principle. When I used to go to Shiurim, I used to notice, okay, he's quoting the Chassam Sefer, the, the Rav, the Magachir, is quoting the Chassam Sefer, he's quoting Rabbi Kiveger, he's quoting the Ben Eshchai, he's quoting Rav Moshe. Where? 
I'm, I have to take his word for it. I want to see it inside. So you want is to marumak him. Is that his explanation of what the Chassam Soifer is saying? Is he ad-libbing? Is he editorializing? Where is, what is the Chassam Soifer saying and what is the Magid Shir saying? I, I always wanted to know where things were. So a very big influence on my career in Rabbanus uh, has been Rav Isaac Isaac Obam Shlita, one of Kedoli Rabbanim today. And I'll tell you, when I was in Koyla and Chafetz Chaim, I, I would sometimes daven in his shul, and I would notice these handout sheets, these Mar sheets. And they were fascinating Mar because they were very novel ideas, ideas maybe they never heard, but they were always meyusad. It's a Rajba, it's Chassam Soifer, it's Rabbi Kibegis, Rabbi Yannis and Ibishitz, it's Sifrei Chasidos. But it meant to all the world that I could see it inside, and clearly the Rav spent tremendous amount of time creating the Marmakoima sheets. And then one time I went to Rav Obam, I said, Rav Obam, I dominated in the show this week, you know, I didn't see the sheets lying around. He said, I'll be happy to give it to you, but you should, you should come to the shir. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, I'm in yeshiva, I'm in koila, I'm going to go to... So I said, give it a shot. And I was completely captivated, completely taken. I think the first shir I went to was the Purim Tish. And Rav Obam wove together Chassam Soifers ala Torah, Torahs Moshe, Jerushim va'agodes Chassam Soifer, and everyone was documented. Verbatim also, right? Verbatim. And Rav Obam has a kayach; he could take something on the page, and when he says it over, it comes to life, and it really captured my heart. A, the delivery, the style, the the process, and the ability to teach people Torah, but give them the skills. It is not my Torah. I don't have ownership over the Torah. It's Kehilas Yaakov. It belongs to Klal Yisrael. So why shouldn't a participant have the Maramakoimais? Why should they be relying on you? I once heard uh, you know, that the Chassam Soifer says his godless in Torah was that he looked up every single Toysus quote to Gemara. He looked up every Gemara. You know? mm-hmm. And that's really where growth and learning comes from. When when you take ownership over it. You know, you can't come to a shir, sit back and, uh, okay, <laughs> and enjoy. You know, I love when people say, you know, Rabbi, I really enjoyed the shir, but when their face lights up and they take the sheet home and they, they write notes on it and they say they set it over at the Shabbos table, they're taking ownership over it. So that's, um, I got a lot from Rav Obam Shlita. And so, so in my Hebrew Sefer, the Siyat Deshmaya, I wanted to maintain that format. Mm-hmm. So what I like to do is, instead of mixing my understanding with the explanation for the Chassam Soifer, I introduce the words of the Chassam Soifer. Then the Chassam Soifer appears in a little bit of a different font. Right. Not drastically different, it's still pleasing to the eye, but you don't have to rely on me. See with your own eye. This is um, Rav David Kayin, Rosh Shiva of Hebron. Right. He has amazing Svarim. You may Hanukkah, you may Purim, Zman Sim Chaseinu. That's how his farm represented. That's his style. And I remember um, he also has um, Svarim on Chumash. So I remember I, I opened up the cover. You know, who's the editor of these Svarim? So a friend of mine, Moshe Gruen. So he also works on a, a number of very important Svarim he, he, with the Yorech Lemoyad. Right, so Yorech Lemoyad Svarim. Also a beautiful Svarim, right. amazing Svarim. I remember I called up Moshe. Would you mind if I use that style, you know, uh, you know, Maramakoim? Of course, of course, you know, by all means. It doesn't belong to anybody. But, you know, most forum I don't think are like that. And uh, 
See, that type of sefer really allows the reader to learn it in two ways. You could read it for what I'm doing with the binyan. In other words, what's Gladstein doing? What's, what, what's the rabbi doing with all these marmakamas? Let me see how he's stringing it together. Or somebody could say, look, let me see the marmakamas for myself. Let me see my take on it. Maybe I could uh, build on it in my own way. So really, it gives... Uh, now, the art scroll, um, the target audience is even for those who don't have the same background in learning. Now, I'll right. tell you the truth. You would think, you know, the Hebrew Sfarim are for the learned people, for the Rabbonim, and the English Sfarim are for the laymen. No. How many Rabbonim have told me they got their Shabbat Shuvah Drasha from the Mystery wow. of Majesty? So I said, you know, I'm eventually coming out in Hebrew. So, no, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay, you know. And it's not a steer one to another. I believe, even a Chashiv Talmud Chacham, who, if they grow up in America, when they think of a Taisus, when they think of a Svara, how are they thinking? They're thinking in English. In English, right. You know, when they stop in Shemona Esra and they say, Melech, Oizer, Umayshia, Umagain, how do they translate it? They translate it, Melech, Oizer, uh, they translate it, King, Helper. That's how their mind works. Right. So anyone who grows up in this country, they could be, you know, a great Tamachacham. There's something about the language that you grow up in that, sure. that resonates more. Now, I noticed in this Sefer also, you source everything at the end of the yeah, chapter. everything is sourced. And that's one of your, one of your uh, I guess, identities almost. That's your thing. And in your shiurim as well. You're yeah. very, very careful about noting everything, sourcing everything. Again, Has, that's very important to me that somebody should be able to open up a Sefer. Many times, uh, I've seen in, in English books, Chassam uh, Sefer says, so, where? where? Where is the Ksav Seifer? Oh, it's the Ksav Seifer. Really? Right? So I want people to know there's a difference. The Ksav Seifer wasn't the Ksav Seifer. Now, I mentioned uh, in the English book, um, a good friend of mine, Dr. Chaim Moller, prepares the transcripts of the, of the essays. You know, he works very hard. He listens to recordings, and we go back and forth. So he listens to your shiurim, and then he transcribes them? Is that kind so, of what no, it, more than that. You know, um, the shiurim, I'll give him the recording. I'll provide the marma koimais. I'll give some direction. Then I'll prepare a manuscript. Also, the, the Art Scroll editorial team will then edit with my direction. So Mrs. Felice Eisner, Mrs. Sure. Dick, later on in the process, of course, you know, they add measurably to the quality of the work. But uh, Chaim really puts in tremendous work. You know, he works full-time, but he listens very dil- diligently to uh, Shirim, and uh, it's really remarkable that he's able to have such a great contribution to Tarabat Sastara. I think I got distracted because <laughs> now that we moved away... I see, the, that, I see that the Rav brought something majesty, special for us. I was talking about my interest <laughs> in... Um, so I mentioned before I have... Uh, this unusual interest in, in the Sephardic Sfarim, and for years it, it baffled me. You know, Gladstone, what do you have with uh, the Chida, the Beneshchai, Rebavadia? I remember back, I was 20 years old in Eretz Yisrael. I, I was going on the yard site of my great grandfather, Rabbi Shlomo Zalman Glick, to his Kever on Harmanuchais. So I went there. Now, finding a Kever on Harmanuchais, if you don't know where you're going, with is. The needle in a haystack. Yeah, yeah, lots of luck. Okay, so I'm coming out, and I see this big. Binion, a binion with a dome on it. Like, what's that? That looks interesting. I come in, it's the kever of the chida. So 
Yeshiva Bachar, Chida. I don't remember learning anything in the Chida on the Zion Masechdas. I remember there was something I was taken at this Makkah. I can't explain it. Years later, giving Shurim, I'm constantly coming back to the Chida, the Chida, the Chida, this Sefer, the Chida, that Sefer. I can't believe it. The Chida wrote over 100 Svarim on all kinds of varied subjects, on travel, on bibliography, on Chumash, on Tanakh, on Halacha, on Gemara. Then I remembered, I mentioned before my grandfather was the, uh, the head of the religious department of the Joint Distribution Committee. And in that capacity, he published the first Svarim for the survivors. Well, what was the first Sefer published in 1945 by the American Joint Distribution Committee? The Chida, Leib uh-huh. David of the Chida. I brought it wow. with me. This, you see, it's in Army Green. Rav Chaim Yosef Azulai. And it has the stamp of the American of the Joint, Joint Distribution, Distribution Committee. Committee. Wow. And look, my grandfather, after Klal Yisrael was, ma- was broken, shattered, he revives the Jewish people with the Svarim of the Chida. So there's no coincidence. There's no coincidences in this world that I should have, be able to have this chus to give over the Torah of the Chida. How long ago did you discover that? This is, you know, maybe five, ten years ago. Wow. Yeah. Now, in your Sefer, this one on Yom Neiroim, you're working on one in your Tashem, you mentioned Hanukkah and Tu B'Shvat. Any particular thought that you wanted to share with us from one of the Svarim, either this one, which came out a year ago and is still very popular, or the upcoming volume? Absolutely. There's a medrash that tshuva is given only to Klal Yisrael. The Umay Sa'ilam cannot do tshuva. The medrash in Medrashtan Chuman Parshas Nasai, Yisa Hashem Panav Eilecha, Eilecha V'loyla Akam. The question is why? Does tshuva work? Does it not work? Is it a valid process? Is it not a valid process? And basically the Chida says in many, many of his svarim, how does tshuva work? The Rebbein Shem is our melech, he's our king. Melech shemachal al kvoidoi, ein kvoidoi machal. A king cannot forgive his honor. But Hashem is melech al hagoyim. To the goyim, Hashem is their king. But to us, he's avinu malkinu. Primarily he's our father. And he's also our king. Av shemachal al kvoidoi, kvoidoi machal. A father could be moichal on his covered. The way, the manner with which tshuva works is the Yibam Shem is our av harachaman, and he could say, kinderlach, amoichal you. So the process of tshuva, people get very nervous about tshuva. People think about, you know, their yeshiva days, and it's an t- intense time, and it's, and it's uh, many people consider it a sad time, mm-hmm. but it's a yamtif. It's mayadim because we're basking in the glory of Avinu Malkeinu. The Rebbe Hashem is coming to us, Avinu Malkeinu. He's saying, I'm an Av HaRachman, Av Shemachal Kvaydei Kvaydei Machal. The Chida we bring in the, in the book. He says, why is Elul? Ani L'doidi V'doidi Li. I am for my beloved. Since when is Hashem Doidi? Ani L'Hashem V'Hashem Li. Ani L'Shakai V'Hashem Li. Ani L'Tzvakos. Ani... Why uh, Doidi? So the Chida says, that the tshuva of Chodesh Elul has to be mitoich simcha, mitoich ahava, tshuva me'ahava. That's a very big principle in the book. Mm-hmm. That tshuva me'ahava far surpasses tshuva me'ira. Tshuva me'ira, you're basically downgrading points and uh, points and a fee. Okay, so we'll take off the points. You know, right. mezid becomes a shaygig. 
When you do tshuva me'ava, Chazam Soifer writes, if a person ate a nevela, it turns into achilas carbon pesach. So the kind of tshuva we're pursuing now is not tshuva me'ira. It's the tshuva of Ladoidi, my beloved father. So that's why the whole month of Elul is captured with the phraseology, ani ledoidi vedoidi li. So, you know, I like to say, Baruch Hashem, I have a great tzchos. I was able to see my grandfather, Mordechai Leblatsi, my grandfather, Rabbi Shimon Hirschfang, when I was a young boy, 12 years old. I used to go to his house every week to learn a masechta for my bar mitzvah. You know, we, we learned masechtas together, sure. you know, Mishnabura, volumes of Mishnabura together. I think if there's one message to young generation is the Sfarno writes in uh, Parshas Era. it's not a coincidence that Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam all came from the same family. Why? You know, you are one superstar, no? Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam. The Sfarno says because, and this is something Rav Henech taught and brought out from the Sfarno, that Moshe was the son of Amram. Amram was the son of Kahas. Uh, Kahas was the son of Levi. Levi lived outlived all the Shvatim. Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam were simply the beneficiaries of being able to connect to the previous Dairais. So, you know, Bachram go to Yeshiva. Young married people, they start their own families. They speak to their Rabbanim. But to connect to the earlier Dairais, we have to, to rise up, we have to get up and stand on their shoulders. So it's definitely a, an important message for younger generations where sometimes people take their families for granted, their parents for granted, grandparents for sure. And now that Baruch Hashem youngsters are zeichet to have grandparents and great-grandparents, many of us were not zeichet to that. It's definitely a very poignant message. Any closing thoughts, Rabbi Gladstein? It's really such a great honor to be here at the Arts Girl Studio, and I thank you, Rabbi Yitzchak, for taking the time to speak today, and Hatzlacha and all your amazing work. Appreciate it. Arts Girl at the Yated. Thank you. Bracha Hatzlacha. We're in Parshas Kisavoy Nitzavim Vayelech. In the introduction to the book, we bring an amazing goyim. So many people have commented on this goyim, on the Vilna goyim. The Vilna Gain says we basically have 10 parashiyos in Sefer Devarim. Nitzav Vayelch, we're going to count as one. They correspond to the 10 centuries of the last millennia of uh, Jewish history, from the year 5000 to the year 6000. So Devarim is the year 5000 to the year 5100, and so on and so forth. That means Kisavai is basically the years 1840 to 1940. Could there be any more of an exact graphic depiction of the years 1840 to 1940, the years leading up to the Holocaust, persecution, devastation of the Jewish people, than the Teichicha? This is the Teichicha. What you read in the Teichicha is 1840 to 1940. Now, the, the Gros said this before. But then, what are the years 1940 to 2040? Nitzavim Vayelech. Now, 1940 to 1945, is still the Teichacha continues, and we read about it in Nitzavim. Gafris, Vamelech, Sreifa, Kal Arza, Loi Sizara, Loi Satsmi. This is what. Ba'af uvechemo vekets of Gadol, once on a sefer, Deos Hashem. Ba'af uvechemo vekets of Gadol is Gematria, Hapisrain, Achrain, the final solution. But then in Nitzam Vayelech, 1940 2040, it says, the Psukim, 
you're going to be sent to a foreign land. But the Torah will never be forgotten. And to be here at Art Scroll, and we see this is one of the great disseminators of Torah of our time. This is the organization that ensures, in fact, the Torah will not be forgotten. Baruch Hashem, there are many venues today through technology. And of course, the renaissance of the yeshiva world and all the chasidos. But Art Scroll has a major role in the fruition of this nevuah. So, we're going to be reading this in the Torah, Kedosha. And uh, we should be zoicha that in these parishes, we should be zoicha to the great mitzvah of Hakel, that Klal Yisrael should come, may Arba Kan to come back to the light of the Torah, to the message of the Torah, to appreciate the mystery and the majesty of the Torah. And um, for all those who have a part in this worthy organization, so their shluchei drachmana to bring the message of the Torah to Klal Yisrael. Thank you so much for having me and Thank you. Uh, for listening. Thank you so much.